Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 25 of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashinsky and today is Sunday, September 26th, or probably Monday, September 27th to those listening. I am joined as always by my buddy Hayden Ramsey. Casey's not going to be with us today. He's up at the campground still, so he's going to be not here until next week's episode. But that's fine because Hayden and I got to watch plenty of football yesterday. Michigan struggled with Rutgers. Ohio State woes kind of seem all right. A little behind them for the moment, at least. And then you have some big games like Indiana struggling with Western Kentucky. Bowling Green beating Minnesota outright. Hayden, was there a game this weekend that I think particularly stood out to you? Yeah, there were actually two main ones. Obviously, the Bowling Green win over Minnesota. Talons up, baby. I have a lot of buddies who, you know, are graduates of BGSU. So, that, I mean, that's a fantastic win for them. And just watching that game, I, you know, I, I didn't really watch it until the second half. And, you know, I wasn't paying attention in the first half. But that second half, Minnesota had multiple opportunities to try and win that game. And, and BG kept making plays. A couple picks to end the game. Yeah, so a really good win for BG. But... We kind of said, we don't know what Minnesota is going to be without their running back. And I think that showed a little bit yesterday. I'm not, you know, if he plays, that dude is one of the best players in the conference. They probably win. I, I know it's Bowling Green, but they probably win that game if he goes. Uh, unfortunate for Minnesota, we talked about how that guy could be a couple less wins because of that. Uh, and the other game, watching that Rutgers-Michigan game, that was really interesting to me. Because it was basically the tale of two halves. In the first half, it looked like Michigan was, quite frankly, getting ready to roll them. You know, just right off the field. But, you know, Rutgers made some adjustments there in the second half. Um, Was moving the ball up and down the field pretty much all of that second half. And even in the first half, Rutgers was able to move the ball. You know, they had some questionable things that they were doing, in my opinion, that maybe could have cost them. And who knows, we're we're looking back right now, Rutgers lost that game by seven. Right before halftime, Greg Schiano chose to go for it. And Michigan ended up getting the ball around midfield with like 30 seconds left. And they got three points out of that. That, that game could be completely different if they decide to punt and go to half instead of giving up those three extra points. For me, I think the most impressive performance, or at least game that stuck out to me most was that Michigan State-Nebraska game. I mean, you have Michigan State coming home after a big win on the road down there in Miami. But then if you want to flip it to Nebraska coming off of a little bit of a week where everybody's been pumping their tires a little bit, talking about how Nebraska looked pretty good against Oklahoma. That defense came to play Michigan State. We talk about how Michigan struggled in the second half. Michigan State offense, they did nothing. Had it not been for a punt return very late in the fourth quarter, Nebraska doesn't give up a touchdown drive to Michigan State there. The Blackshirts look back. I'm almost disappointed for that fan base just because it truly feels like they got robbed of a win here. And if Nebraska's 3-2 and at this point of the season after where they were on day one of this year, I think it really could have been huge for them but we'll get more into that right here in a second but first I guess Hayden how was your weekend what did you do 
little bit more of a subdued slate this week, but Clemson lost. You got to be on top of the world, right? Oh, man. I always love watching Dabo go down. That was awesome to watch. A lot of people don't know, but there's some bad blood there between Clemson and NC State. Dabo and, and uh, NC State's head coach is Dave Doran. Uh, they've had some bad blood going back the last three or four years, um, including everybody knows, well, maybe not, but James Skowski's been at Clemson forever. He's their middle linebacker. A few years back, Clemson was just beating the brakes off of NC State. They let James Skowski kick an extra point in that game <laughs> as they're up by 40 points. But there's been some real bad blood. Dave Doran was accusing uh, Clemson of uh, cheating. They had a, someone on the sideline with a laptop, and then the, the following year, Dabo makes you know a sign that they hold up to call the plays. One of them was a laptop. Like There's a lot of bad blood going in between that, so that's just really interesting. I didn't get to watch any of the uh, post-game stuff, but I'm sure somebody had a jab in there. I didn't know any of that. That definitely adds a layer to that. Couldn't happen to a better team. I agree. They're just so unlikable. I don't know what it is about Dabo and that program. It's just they went from being, to me, kind of where I guess Georgia kind of is now, where they were that lovable loser for so long. I don't feel like anybody in the country had a bad word to say about Clemson unless you were South Carolina, and now all of a sudden, I mean, I think they're even more unlikable than Alabama. I absolutely agree. But that's enough Clemson hating for right now. We'll jump right into the recaps. Number six, Penn State. They struggled fairly with Villanova. It was 31-3 entering the fourth quarter. I know some Penn State fans wanted that game to be to be more, I guess, decisive. But I was trying to tell everybody this last week, Villanova is about as good as you're going to find an FCS program. And Penn State, they took care of business. There was never a moment that Villanova even felt in this game yeah, the, the issue of the run games kind of still are there, only 80 yards on the ground. But this was another one of those games, kind of like the Buckeye game we'll be talking about later. I feel like you can only learn so much about your team out in that game. And for Penn State, coming off as impressive of a month as we've seen at anybody in college football, I felt like they were due a little bit of a letdown game. No worries you know, about anything that happened on Saturday. You know, coming off that huge win last week against Auburn, like you said, they were due for a game where maybe they're just not completely focused and and ready to go with a weaker weaker opponent. Sean Clifford, you know, another one of those games where he basically did what was needed. You know, uh, 19-26, 400 yards uh, on four touchdowns. He did throw a pick, and I'm not going to lie, I didn't watch the game. But if he can be consistent, you know, with that decent completion percentage, keeping his turnovers down, that's really the key for Penn State to be super successful here in the Big Ten East. Number 12, Notre Dame, and number 18, Wisconsin, playing at Soldier Field. This is a game that it almost feels sick if you bet the under, where myself and Casey were lined up. Hayden got to enjoy it. Entering the fourth quarter, this was a 10-10 ball game. Notre Dame comes out on top 41-13 due to a kick return and two pick sixes. The score is not really indicative of what the game was on Saturday. But with that even being said, Wisconsin has to really look in the mirror long and hard 
Because that offense is going to hold this team back. This game was very strange to me because, you know, after the first couple of drives, it felt like Wisconsin looked like the better team and there was a chance that they could win this game by a lot. They dropped the pick six, like they hit him in the hands, dropped the pick six, like things like that changed the game. And Wisconsin just didn't make enough of those plays. Wisconsin's defense was getting after Jack Cohn. I mean, they had a bunch of sacks there really throughout the whole game, but particularly in the first half. This offense for Wisconsin is not good. Wisconsin is not going to be successful when Graham Mertz is throwing the ball 41 times. Like, that just does not – they're not going to win games like that. Wisconsin has been known for their great rushing attack, and they don't have that really either. They – Combined for 78 yards on the ground, 2.8 yards of carry. I mean, that's not, you're not going to beat anybody who's worth a damn with that kind of performance. Mertz had four interceptions. They really offensively have no threats to do much of any, like, I, I, I don't know what to say about this offense because it's it's that bad. We talked about Graham Mertz all offseason. If he's taken that step, if he's, you know, moving forward to, bring Wisconsin into the new era of football and not, you know, the ground and pound, whatever. He obviously hasn't. And that's unfortunate for Wisconsin. Paul Chris is, is really going to have to figure something out on the offensive side of the ball. Defense, their defense was fine. I mean, I know they gave up 41 points, but, but 21 of those were pick sixes at the end of the game and a kickoff return. So defensively, I think they're still fine. They're still a, a pretty good defense. But they really got to regroup because they have a big game this coming week. Not seeing Jack Cohn get to finish this game was a little disappointing. I really would have liked to have seen that. But, dude, you got to give credit to that kid that came in. There really was a lack of, I guess, creativity in, in that offense up until that point. But once Drew Pine came in, Notre Dame looked like the better team. The defense played with even more intensity than we had seen up to that point. One point that I do want to touch on, though, is that the rush attack is struggling. Notre Dame pulled out the old tried-and-true recipe when playing Wisconsin all the way back to, I feel like, that 2014 Big Ten title game. It was basically just, we're going to line up 11 guys in the box, and you're not going to pass it. You will not do it. And Wisconsin, credit them for trying but until they're able to actually give a little bit of production through the air, take the top off a of defense, I mean, that's been the recipe for more talented teams to at least beat Wisconsin, to at very least give them fits. And, I mean, credit to Notre Dame. That was the game plan again. And until Wisconsin can figure out how to do it, how to actually win a game through the air, I mean, God, everybody's going to do this in the big games. Kind of getting off topic here just for a, a brief moment. Since I think Cincinnati is gonna gonna beat Notre Dame next week, I think they can beat them handily. Honestly, I'm not impressed with Notre Dame really that much at all. But you know, maybe that new quarterback—I don't know the extent of Cone's injury. Maybe that new quarterback provides a little spark. But they play at home against Cincinnati next weekend, and I and I really think the the Bearcats can get them. Here's my thing, though: is I'm not really all that impressed with Cincinnati either. I feel like both of those teams have kind of underperformed this year. When you're undefeated and can say that you've underperformed, that's a good thing. But 
they really were not the better team for three quarters against Indiana. They struggled with the racers, the Murray State racers for an entire half. I'm going to go out and just say that that is a game of teams that maybe aren't actually as good as we think they are. But we'll find out, I guess, more next Saturday for that game. One game that we know the team isn't as good as we thought they were. Bowling Green beats Minnesota outright. 30 and a half point dogs go up to Minneapolis, go up to Minnesota, get a win. Their first FBS win since 2019. That's Casey's Bowling Green Falcons. Hayden, I'll let you go first, but holy hell, if we're going to be critical of guys like Michael Penix Jr., when are we going to start calling Tanner Morgan out? Because, I mean, dude went 5 of 13, 59 yards and two picks against Bowling Green. At home. The dude had a 5.1 QBR. That's like, that's unheard of. I can't I can't even believe I'm saying that. That's unbelievable. Yeah, th- this season feels, you know, after, after this game, feels almost lost for Minnesota. And I know that Tanner Morgan has been there and he's been through the, the highs and obviously now he's going through some lows. They might need to start looking at playing someone else behind him I don't think they're going to be very successful this year and it might as well start gaining some of that experience for some of the, one of the younger guys behind him I thought there was no shot Bowling Green would even really be competitive <laughs> they were they were one of the teams that I was told to fade all year and they've they've proved I think they're three and one against the spread now <laughs> which is unbelievable yeah I I don't know the bad things are brewing there for PJ Fleck he's not rowing the boat very good I'm not panicking on P.J. Fleck, but let me tell you about Tanner Morgan here for a second. This year, he is 38 of 72, three touchdowns, two picks, 540 yards. After four games, you're looking under 150 yards a game. You're not even getting touchdowns when you're down in the red zone. Everything's on the ground. It's like you said, dude, this feels like a lost season. And... I mean, it's crazy to think. I almost wish Casey was on here because he brought up last week the potential that they would be 8-1. and one. And now, all of a sudden, when you look at this team show the Bowling Green and how one-dimensional they are, that's, that's not good. They're going to be in a real bind to even get to the bowl eligibility at this point. We thought, yeah, Casey thought, and I guess we all kind of thought maybe they got on a little run here. They have to go to Purdue next week, and then all of a sudden they they play back at home against a Nebraska team who we thought was dead in the water after the first week, who is playing much much better. So that's like that's not even a guaranteed win anymore. They're they're in a lot of trouble. Yes, they are. Now Ohio traveled to Northwestern, where Northwestern won this game thirty-five to six. For most of the game, this hung around that twenty twenty-one nothing kind of deficit that Ohio is facing. Northwestern, credit to them, came out, took care of business, were able to get the job done on the ground pretty much however they wanted to in this game. Evan Hall did have 216 yards, 90 of which came on one rushing touchdown. We talked going into this game about which quarterback we would see this week, whether it be Andrew Marty, who looked really good in Duke before his injury, They actually went with last week's third-string quarterback, Ryan Holinsky, and he didn't exactly win the job to me, 
Uh, didn't throw for 100 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions on 20 attempts. Northwestern just isn't very good. They won this game purely on those athletes on the interior line on both sides of the ball. But I, I got to imagine they're going to be in a similar fight as Minnesota just trying to get the ball eligibility, huh? They are really, really one-dimensional. You can't win games like that. I feel like that's a common thing here among a couple teams here in the Big Ten. You cannot win games when your quarterback doesn't even throw for 100 yards. They were playing a Mac school. They were playing a Mac school, and they could not throw for 100 yards. I love Pat Fitzgerald, but offense is, is not, not, not good for them. You know, Evan Hull did run for 216 yards, which is very good. They're going to need that guy to be an absolute workhorse if they're going to get to that bull eligibility because right now I really don't see it. Iowa, the number five team in the country, hosted Colorado State, another team that is very, very bad. And Colorado State made this a game. They hung around as long as, I mean, for quite a while. They actually were leading this game at the half. It was 14-7 to here. Albeit, Colorado State had one of their drives start very deep in Iowa territory because of a turnover, because of a pick, actually. Iowa's defense is not questioned. Yet again, we know what they are. We know that they're probably the best defense. The offense needs to win a game for them. They need to be a little bit more impressive. They've been disappointing all year. They did enough on Saturday to get it done. Won the game 24-14. But this is another one. I've told Hayden yesterday off air. If they line up against a Penn State or an Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament purely on the athletes alone, I'm taking Ohio State or Penn State by a million because I don't believe that Iowa is going to be able to score even 20 points on a good team in the rest of the Big Ten. Yeah, it feels like the team that always comes out of the West has that same problem where it's good enough to get them to you know the Big Ten championship game. But once they get there, they just don't have the athletes to match literally whoever comes out of these. I don't care if it's Ohio State, Penn State. Michigan might be a different story. We're going to get to them here because their offense still is a little iffy. But those two big teams right there, Ohio State and Penn State, will have the athletes to create some mismatches and score. Iowa's not going to just line up and run the ball 50 times down Penn State's throat. It's just not going to happen. To be successful in a championship-level game, you have to be able to do both. And once again, it, it just doesn't seem like the, this team can do that. No, they looked helpless, honestly, through the air. He had a beautiful ball. Spencer Peters had a beautiful ball on the long touchdown early in the game. And I kind of was excited watching it because it was that maybe this will be the game that Iowa's offense starts clicking the offense is able to run it up a little bit on a very bad Colorado State team. Not only did it prove not to happen, I mean, this was a football game. This was a football game late. You can't really have that. I'm just having a difficult time believing that this is truly the number five team in the country. And when Penn State comes to town here in a few weeks, I'm probably going to take them. I'm probably going to take them to win outright. And, man, I, I just... The Big Ten West, it's like you said, it's a very familiar problem. But now we'll go to Illinois and Purdue in West Lafayette. What a game. 
It was actually as big tenny as it gets. But it was six nothing Purdue. Then per, or Illinois goes on an offensive rampage where they get three of their own field goals in the second half, and they're up nine to six. And Purdue had to drive down the field and actually get a touchdown late to take the lead on Illinois. And then Illinois drives down the field and has it inside the Boilermakers 25. It might have even been inside the 20. And I mean, credit to the Boilermaker defense. They bowed their back when they needed to. They held Illinois, but you can see it on Brett Bielema's face at the end of this game. He just did the the head drop, hand on knees, just understanding how difficult this job is going to be at Illinois and to have a potential win in front of them like that. You have to come away with that. The process of learning how to win with a young team, with a team that doesn't really know how to win. Purdue's 3-1. and one. Illinois one and four. What are your thoughts on this, Hayden? Yeah, we well we talked about Purdue last week running that two quarterback system. I guess is what it is. Well, they did it again this week, and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. You need to pick a guy, and he is your guy, and you're gonna let him manage the whole game because doing this two tier system only disrupts the disrupts the flow that an offense can get. You're never going to get some sort of rhythm to score when you're when you're throwing guys in. I don't know how they're doing it. Every series, every other series like it's I you cannot get a rhythm. And with being limited already on the offensive side of the ball to then throw in quarterbacks every other possession, not good. And, and Jeff Brom Dude, you you got to change that because it's it's clearly not working. Luckily for them, Illinois' offense is horrible. Like that's the only reason they won this game is because Illinois cannot score. Like they're horribly bad. So, I guess Purdue's defense did their job. I gave up nine points, but they got to figure out what they're doing with the quarterback because this situation is not working. Purdue's defense has actually been halfway decent this year too where I feel like we're just so used to them being one of the worst defenses in the Big Ten. So we've kind of run up that idea. But, I mean, looking what they did this year so far, you gave up 21 points to Oregon State in that win at home. You shut out UConn, and I understand UConn's probably the worst team in FBS football right now. And then you hold Notre Dame to 27 points before this. I mean, this is a defense that is going to be able to keep this team in ball games this year. I just hope they figure out the quarterback position. Because, I mean, Jack Plummer looks like a guy that's going to protect the ball more, but he doesn't take as many chances downfield. But Aiden O'Connell, he has been turning the ball over a little bit, but he has at least been able to stretch the field. And he did lead them on that touchdown drive at the end of that game to beat Illinois. So it'll be interesting to see if Brom does eventually make a decision because right now I can't get behind a two quarterback system at all, let alone in 2021. Kent state travel to Maryland. The Maryland Terrapins win this game 37 to 16. Talia Tagovailoa threw his first pick of the season, but that didn't stop him from really just lighting it up once again through the air. This Maryland team's going to be able to score points on just about anybody this year. Rakeem Jarrett and Dante Demas both have decent games again. Hayden, 
Maryland is hosting Iowa this week. Iowa can't score. Is this a potential upset alert going into this next week? Or do you think that when they face a defense like Iowa, they're going to kind of be forced to dictate to the, to the what Hawkeyes terms a little bit? Yeah, I'll answer your question here in a second. I just I want to point out the fact that you said there is a chance Kent State wins this game, and you, uh, to your credit, you you picked Maryland. I believe you called your shot to win by three. Well, unfortunately for you, they didn't, and you lost. And I can't believe you you had that much confidence in Kent State to actually, you know, be super super competitive. Bad pick by you. <laughs> In terms of of next week, though, that is a a really, really interesting matchup because obviously Iowa's defense is very, very good, and that's going to be what they hang their hat on. But Maryland can score a little bit, so that matchup, whoever can win that matchup, really is going to be huge. I'll be interested to see how much Iowa can score when they're on offense because obviously you need to score to win. If Iowa's offense can get them... I don't know. Can they get them 24 points on the offensive side of the ball? Like that's where it gets crazy because I think there's a chance Maryland can Maryland will score a little bit. I think on Iowa, they they could be in the 20s. So then it's all up to Iowa's offense. If they can, if they can get the ball moving a little bit, keep an eye on our picks on Thursday this week, because I got a weird feeling about this game. I don't know where I'm going to land yet, but I do feel like that Maryland team has a chance to shock the world this week. Also want to point out they're going to... Take down Casey's Hawkeyes. Big win. That'd be a big win. Potentially. And if that happens, you're talking about a ranked Maryland Terrapin team out there in College Park. What Maryland does have to look out for is that people that are just looking at this 37-16 score, Kent State moved the ball at will in this game. They had over 450 yards of offense. What you don't see when you look at this score, too, is that they had a fake field goal against them that worked out to be a touchdown. Kent State had that called back and weren't actually able to score that drive. And on top of that, Kent State had, what, a 55 or something like that yard touchdown pass called back, and they didn't score on that drive as well. Maryland did a good job keeping that team out of the end zone on Saturday, but they have to really figure it out. They're giving up... Loads of yards to everyone. This Iowa matchups almost feels like in this situation, it's what's going to give. Is Iowa's offense going to be forced to actually get yards? Or is Maryland's defense going to kind of revert back to what we saw against West Virginia? I'm not exactly like West Virginia's offense is anything special, although they did give Oklahoma fits last night. Now we'll go up to Ann Arbor where Rutgers... Had a second-half surge, not enough to come back and beat the number 19 Michigan Wolverines as they won this game 20-13. to But we'll go over to Hayden first, who's the only guy that had Rutgers covering this week. But in his beacon of wisdom, he also gave you the super lock of the over here. Hayden, how are you doing after the super lock failed this week? And on top of that, I know that you've got just a radiated happiness right now that I can just feel it that you're thrilled that Michigan looked bad on Saturday, at least in the second half. The super lock, it was very, very disappointing because there were multiple chances for, especially Rutgers, to score points that could, you know, get us towards that 
the super lock pick. Once we got into like the the fourth quarter, I was basically begging for overtime. I needed I needed the overtime to to survive with the super lock, keep my undefeated super lock picks going. Unfortunately, it, it, it did not uh, work out. You know, I, I talked about this game briefly earlier. This game was the tale of two halves. Michigan looked very, very good again. They were, you know, they literally on the first drive, I think they threw it once or twice, but they ran the ball the whole drive right down the field for a touchdown. And I was like, oh, great. That's that's going to be what, you know, Michigan's going to do all game. Well, once we got into the second half, Rutgers really really came came to play and, and shut down Michigan offensively the entire second half. That's pretty concerning, I think, for Michigan fans because it feels it, – it's once again it, – like once again, it's it, in, this time it's in the Big Ten East. But there are teams in the Big Ten who have no passing threat whatsoever. I'm not saying Michigan has none, but their their passing game seems to be very limited. McNamara with 9 of 16 – only 163 yards, so like nothing special through the air. I think teams are going to load the box on Michigan with how good their running game is, and they're going to say, "Look, McNamara, if you can if you can throw the ball 25 times down the field and you beat us that way, then fine. But until you do it, we're going to load the box." And I think Michigan's going to find that out once they get or now that we're kind of in Big Ten play. It's not going to be as easy as, you know, the first couple games of the year, and Rutgers proved that. Defensively, another concerning area, Michigan, Rutgers moved the ball pretty much the whole game. You know, they were moving a first drive, they drive it all the way down into Michigan territory. I, I think they got nothing out of it. Or maybe they kicked a field goal. I think they kicked a field goal. But really in the second half, they were moving the ball fantastic. They would get down into the scoring area, and they just couldn't they couldn't punch it in. They would settle for a field goal, or they'd miss a field goal. But they moved the ball pretty much the entire game, which is another you know area of concern because uh, Rutgers is not necessarily an offensive juggernaut, and they only scored thirteen points. So I guess that's that's the end game, right? Is you want you want your defense to not give up points, which I guess credit to Michigan they didn't but I think better teams will convert some of those opportunities better than what Rutgers was able to Michigan has their problems just and I'm glad you brought up the Big Ten as a whole because I can't remember for a while now there being so many passing illiterate teams I mean they're just terrible terrible teams you go through it I mean Wisconsin's their passing offense is an abomination and holding them back right now Minnesota's terrible. Northwestern, terrible. Iowa, terrible. Illinois, terrible. Indiana, terrible. It is just one after another. Indiana at least picked it up last night a little bit. We'll see how much of that was the Hilltoppers defense. But Michigan is one of those teams that they're going to have that problem. When teams stack the box, they're not going to be able to answer the bell. The only benefit for them is like next week. They're playing Wisconsin in a game that might as well be a mud bowl back in 1930 in black and white. Because, what do I mean, are we going to see 150 total passing yards in that game? You could make a case you won't. I would love to see the Vegas line for passing yards total. I mean, it, I, it, it would be absolutely crazy. I don't know what the... I was talking with Casey about this uh, yesterday when we were up at the lake. I said, what's going to be the line for that game? 
and we were thinking like, honestly, I have no idea. But but whatever the total is, I think you have to take the under. I don't care if they set the total at 30 and a half. Like, you might have to take the under on that. Because who's who's going to – Wisconsin is not going to – Wisconsin's defense is not their problem. They are not going to let Michigan just run the ball 50 times for 300 yards. You know, they, they are going to commit to stopping the run, and they're going to make McNamara beat them. And I don't think he can. So where does Michigan's points come from? That's not even getting into Wisconsin's offensive problems. Like Michigan's de- like Michigan's defense is okay, unless Graham Mertz is totally a different person next week. They're not going to be able to throw the ball down the field either. So th- this this game is going to be, like you said, this this might as well take place in the 1960s. Yeah, if there's ever been a game that's been just destined to end 10 to seven, I don't know because this one just screams. I don't like, and I don't know what the line would be either. I guess tentatively, if I had to guess right now, you'd probably say maybe Wisconsin minus a half a point. Oh wow! Because think about it, you you give the three points up for Michigan going on the road. I think if they played a neutral site right now, I would say Michigan would be about a two and a half point favorite. Vegas is smart enough not to overreact just at records. It's like we said this last week. This Wisconsin. Defense is very good. This is a decent Wisconsin team. They just so happen to face two borderline top 10 teams in the first three games of the season. I think we'll talk about this game a lot more as we get close, but I have the complete opposite line. I was like, I was shocked when you said Wisconsin minus. I I think Michigan will be a favorite in this game. Honestly, I I think Casey and I said yesterday, I – I think it could go as high as like four and a half. If you give me Michigan plus half, I'm putting my life savings on it. I know Casey brings it up quite often. Michigan just really struggles to win in Madison. And I don't think that I can pick them to go up there and do it until I see it happen. I mean, right now at this point, we've seen what both quarterbacks have done. Whose offense would you give the edge to? Michigan, right? Yeah, I I think Michigan's offense is better, but not like it's a huge difference. You know what I mean? They're better, but not a whole lot. The reason I brought that up is whose defense would you say is better? And I would say that you have more of a gap on Wisconsin's defense and Michigan's defense than Wisconsin's offense and Michigan's offense. And that's where, especially at home, who knows what the weather is right now? It doesn't matter. Sunny might as well be a snowstorm with those offenses. I think that that defense is going to at least cause Vegas to slow down their role and and potentially have like I'm not saying the Badgers are like a touchdown favorite. I'm literally saying a pick them. It's Badgers minus a half a point. Yeah, no. If I had to pick, I would take Michigan's offense like very slightly, but. I think Wisconsin's defense is like a step above Michigan's. This game is going to come down to field position and who turns the ball over. We've seen Graham Mertz turn the ball over a lot. We have not seen McNamara turn the ball over. Now, he hasn't played the level of competition yet. And so maybe 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 this coming week is McNamara's head spinning and he doesn't know which way is up playing against a Wisconsin defense. That's, that's much, much better than that one and two record shows. That's enough for right now. We'll come back to that game 
what, next week, on Thursday when you guys have this come out? Is that going to be the big noon game next week? I mean, the last time Michigan went up there was the big noon game. I mean, Ohio State is already slated for the 330 spot. So I feel like they have to be. Well, I don't know what other game in the conference would be. Penn State, Indiana's already slated for 730. Everybody else. Oh, yeah. it's already It already says noon. So it doesn't say Fox, but I'm guessing it has to be on Fox. That's got to be the noon game, yeah. So that'll end up being, though, I mean, it'll be a top 25 matchup. You can't imagine Wisconsin falls out of the top 25, losing a number 12 team in neutral site. And again, that actually was close. So we will go now. We'll come back to that game this next week. But Michigan State, I mentioned at the top of the show that they go back home after a big win at Miami, and they hosted a hungry Nebraska team, a Nebraska team that looks hungry to kind of prove themselves and change the narrative on their season. And they had a really good opportunity to do that. I can't remember the total yards. I'm looking at it right now. That's why I sound distracted. But Michigan State had something like 30 yards in the second half in this game. They only had one or two first downs, very similar to the other in-state rival, Michigan. But Michigan State gets a timely punt return with like four or five minutes left in this game. Had that not happened, there isn't a prayer that Michigan State's able to score a touchdown when they hadn't been able to move the ball the entire second half. I'm almost crushed more for Nebraska than I am happy for Michigan State fans. And I'm very happy for them because it is good to see another team at this kind of caliber in the Big Ten. But God, it felt like Nebraska really could have turned this season around. And if they're 3-2... and two, I mean, God, you could really make a case that this team could end up being an eight-win team at the end of the year. I need to go on a, a little bit of a rant here because I'm upset with Michigan State and Mel Tucker because I had Michigan State minus four and a half. They have first and goal at like the three-yard line, maybe the four-yard line, in overtime, and they decide to be super, super vanilla and just slam the ball right up the middle. You're already forgetting a key part of this. Oh, the pick six? The pick six that should have been. How does that guy get hawked down? That that dude is a defensive back. He got tackled by a guy with a number 50-something. How do you get tackled 50 yards down the field by an offensive lineman? That guy should be ashamed. And Michigan State should pay everybody who had Michigan State minus four and a half because they absolutely stole that from people. I was I was so happy on the pick. I was like, yes, I'm going to win, and then no. And then they get first and goal at the three-yard line, and they will refuse. They refuse to score a touchdown, and I was sick to my stomach. The black shirts are back, man. Nebraska defensive football it looks back, and who knows? Maybe that's, that's their avenue in to being a player in the Big Ten again. It fits the Big Ten West mold. I mean, look at what Iowa and Wisconsin are able to do. If Nebraska is able to bring the black shirts back, God, it would be at least good for them to kind of lean into that bit of their history and realize that the high-flying kind of spread offense that they've been trying to do the last, what, eight, nine years, it just isn't going to happen. Do you know who Nebraska has next week? Yeah, they play Northwestern next week. Sorry, I was watching the replay of the pick and he got tackled by an offensive lineman 50 yards down the field how does that happen i literally can't 
I can't get over it. I'm. They cost me. Yeah, they cost us both. And that's something I should have mentioned at the top of this too. Is that Hayden had a really good day gambling. I want to say he went thirteen and nine. Was up like three units and change. Casey and I both on the other end of it. We both had terrible days. It's getting close now. I want to say Hayden's down like seven or eight units on the year. I lead at plus two. So it's actually all within 10 units. So it's worth paying attention to. But we'll go now to the Akron at Ohio State game. Ohio State puts up an awkward number on Akron. 59 to seven. You want to talk about gambling. Akron drops a touchdown. Meaningless touchdown at the end of the game. That would have had Akron cover better people like myself very happy but got to be encouraged with this ohio State. it would have hit the over too yeah wouldn't it's it? a double-edged sword for us uh, we lost both bets on that on the guy dropping a touchdown in the end zone at the end of the game unbelievable it was a little tough akron actually jumped up seven to nothing in this game which kind of almost makes it worse because at ohio state it's a score <clears throat> 59 unanswered and the defense Beyond that opening drive, they looked much better. Are you allowing yourself to be excited about this performance? Or are you kind of really fixated on the fact that it's Akron and it kind of takes a little bit of the shine off it? I am cautiously optimistic. Ohio State continued to do more things, moving post-snap, you know, having two high safeties, moving, rotating from one to two safeties. They played a lot of zone coverage. One thing that I was looking for, and you know, this is taken with a grain of salt because they're playing Akron. They had nine sacks, which is something that is expected, I guess, of Ohio State uh, when they play a team like that. What I'm excited about is the hopefully the opportunity for that to keep translating as we move forward. We have some young guys who are playing. There's a lot of young guys who played. Tyleek Williams, who is a freshman this year, had two sacks against Akron. He, I mean, he was playing when, not when the game, the game was never in doubt. Even when they were down 7-0, the game wasn't in doubt. But he was playing early, is what I'm trying to say. If they can get production, they obviously they're not going to get nine sacks against Rutgers next week. But if they could get two or three, that's huge. That only, not, not only, you know, gets the offense off rhythm, but that takes so much more pressure off of this linebacking linebacker group that is already struggling. I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I'm I'm optimistic. I've been optimistic that the defense would improve even after the Oregon game. And um, I'm gonna stay that way. I think things are still trending. You know, I said I keep using the word baby steps. They are taking baby steps in the in the right way. Things things aren't going to all all of a sudden magically get fixed. Um, it's going to take Matt Barnes some time to get comfortable calling plays and get the flow of the game. I think they'll get there. I'm not saying they're going to be a good defense, but I think by the end of the year they'll at least be average, which is really all. If this offense you know starts clicking, is really all this team needs to win the Big Ten is an average defense. I'm kind of taking that optimistic approach, too. And you know the old expression, sometimes you just need to see one go in. That kind of felt like the same way with this defense. Yeah, you played a very overmatched Akron team. And credit to DJ Irons. I felt like he did as much as you could ever hope for, given the fact that he didn't have an offensive line in this game that had any kind of realistic chance to hold up. 
So I was kind of happy for Akron that they got that touchdown early, made it feel like it was worth the trip a little bit. But Ohio State here, that defense, like you said, if you can even get that pass rush to improve marginally, this is a team that is going to win the Big Ten. And I say going to because the Big Ten West is not going to beat the Big Ten East winner. Whoever wins the East wins the conference. I I think I'm comfortable saying that already. And I know that we're only, what, September 25th. But I'm comfortable at this point saying the Big Ten East champ's going to win. And it's going to turn into that Ohio State-Penn State game in Columbus here in about a month's time. That is starting to feel like the Big Ten championship. And I think it's going to have even more weight when Penn State goes to Iowa and gets it done. Because that's coming here, what, that's a week or two away? As Ohio State fans, I think we're big Iowa fans for that game, even though I don't think they get it done. I mean, we're still a a couple weeks away, but uh, I think we should probably, if you're an Ohio State fan listening, I think you should probably be rooting for Iowa because that gives you a a little bit of breathing room. I know it's still going to come down to the head-to-head, but that would make Penn State only have to lose like one additional game instead of two if they lost to Iowa. Yeah, this is... The only way that you can make that, I guess, spin it around is, would you rather beat a number three or four overall Penn State team at home, or would you rather beat a number eight or nine Penn State team at home and then beat a number two or three Iowa team in the Big Ten championship game to end the year? I think the difference is so small that it doesn't really matter, honestly. The moral of the story is, if you're an Ohio State fan, go take care of business against Penn State. Go take care of business against the Big Ten West champion. And that's it. End of story. I have to ask you, though, we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't at least mention it. Kavon Pope, linebacker for Ohio State. He was actually warming up with the defensive ends last night, which probably led to it. He seemingly quit the team mid-game. Vontae Davis style. I've never seen anything like this before. It's not by any stretch of the imagination good. I mean, what the hell do you think when you're looking at this? I mean, as an Ohio State fan, is this just more frustration because of the fuck Ohio State tweet after the fact? Because that's what I think set most people off. I've never seen anything like this happen in the middle of the game. When they showed him going to the locker room, I thought something happened where he was injured and needed to get checked out or... Need to go to the bathroom. Like, I, I never would have dreamed that he was going to the locker room because he was quitting. That's that's unbelievable. I understand that this guy was obviously upset uh, and very emotional when he made this decision. It's a bad look for him to tweet the things that he tweeted because this guy is probably going to hit. I mean, he, he has to hit the transfer portal. And... You know, tweeting that out, I wonder if that might close some doors. People might not be as willing to, you know, take this guy in with his actions that he took after the game. Or not even after the game, it was like during the second half. So it's it's unfortunate. Like personnel-wise, unfortunately for Kayvon Pope, if he couldn't crack this rotation, he's obviously not uh, the answer. So I don't, it's not necessarily going to hurt Ohio State defensively or anything like that you know if he can't get in with the guys that we have then then he ain't it as we've been saying (laughs) just a truly bizarre 
situation. I've I've never seen somebody do that during the middle of the game. If you're not able to crack the starting linebacker rotation with Tommy Eichenberg or last year Tough Borland starting, that is a major red flag to me. And I refuse to believe that this is the Urban Meyer Tough Borland thing where the just leadership, pound your head, it's the JT thing. I don't believe that that's the case at all here. This is inexcusable. If you're not able to get on the field as an athlete like that, I don't know what to tell you. There's a disconnect somewhere. I don't know if it is a coaching problem. Do we have to go back and pinpoint a problem there? That's something we can go into at a later time. We'll go to our last game of the week right now. We're Indiana. Hold on, I got to ask you a question. This is the last thing I I really want to talk about with Ohio State. And I I think it's noteworthy because, I mean, it's a huge position. We, we, We haven't talked about quarterback play at all, which I think we should at least mention a little bit. I, I think there was a chance going into this game if Kyle McCord played out of his mind that we might not he might not come off the field. I don't think we got that. I actually think you know, I, I, I think he was fine. He was fine. He was obviously a little ramped up at the beginning. I think this game, and I know it's only Akron, but I think this game kind of validated Ryan Day's feelings on who should be the quarterback. And I still think that is CJ Stroud. Kyle McCord didn't do anything to take that job from him. I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but as long as Stroud is hopefully healthy and rested after taking a whole week off his shoulder, I hope, I hope is good. Um, there's no question in my mind that he should, he should be back out there starting next week. CJ Stroud is QB one. It's been that way. It should have been that way. The fact that people are calling for other people shows how reactionary that we have fan bases like that. And Ohio State, we're a very passionate group of fans, obviously. And that sometimes leads to problems because we expect national titles. We expect championships every single year. And when you feel like you're not getting that, what do you do? You're like, well, I got to change something. And naturally, the quarterback position is the most, I guess, if you're a casual fan, you can notice a drop-off in talent at quarterback opposed to other positions more obviously. So you go from Justin Fields to anybody, there's going to typically be a large drop-off. And that's nothing against C.J. Stroud, but he should be the guy. There will be growing pains. Deal with it. But we really got to talk about this last game now. Indiana went to Western Kentucky. Win by two. Western Kentucky scores late to make it a little closer. Penix Jr. looks like he figured some things out in this game. Now, Western Kentucky's not known for their tout defenses by any means, but Penix Jr., over 50%, over 300 yards passing. Do we have reason to hopefully believe that his woes are behind him? Because, I mean, let's face it. They played Iowa, and they played Cincinnati. Those are two very good defenses. Perhaps we were just a little bit eager to, I guess, throw stones, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. They have a tough a tough game coming up here next week. They play at Penn State, so I think we will find out more about Penix Jr. this coming week because that could be a huge game to kind of boost Indiana back back on the right track here. They've only lost one conference game, so it's not like they're not completely out of the division title, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. 
Uh, they're not completely out of it now. They have a lot, a lot of work to do because they got to play a lot of good teams here. But theoretically, if, if Penix can get back to his old self, which it looks like he might be trending in that direction, they can compete in some of these games. Now, it's going to start next week at Penn State. It's a tough one. This this game, by the way, this game was great. It ended my gambling night on a very positive note. Western Kentucky scored a touchdown. They were They were down nine. Scored a touchdown late, which didn't matter to me because I had them plus nine and a half anyway. But what was key was it hit, it, hit, it pushed the over, or no, no, it hit the over. So it was just a great a great score. I think that score with only like two minutes left. A great end of the night for me going two and zero in that game. Dude, Indiana, by the way, they gave up, and this isn't. I at this point, I think that just just shows that Western Kentucky's offense is for real. They gave up over 350 yards passing to this team, too. That Zoppe kid, Bailey Zoppe, 365 yards, three touchdowns. So Indiana's defense, at least to this point, it looks like they've taken a step back this year. This next Saturday is a good opportunity for them to change that going to Happy Valley. I mean, God, Penn State, they've had a hell of a little stretch here in their own right. feels like blockbuster game. Like, a little bit of a nice little get-right game. Blockbuster game, get-right game. Indiana, this was a bigger matchup going into the year. But you know James Franklin's going to have that group remembering what happened last year that they arguably should have won in Bloomington and got robbed on a call at the end of the game. Penn State's going to be very hungry. If Penix Jr. hasn't got it all figured out, this game could be ugly for the Hoosiers. But hopefully for their sake, they can make that a game. The quarterback play isn't a problem. And we might, I mean, that'll be a sneaky good game to watch next week. Yeah, that, that will be fun. There's, there's a couple games coming up next week, and I know we'll talk about them in our preview show. But there's a couple games coming up next week that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Well, good. We'll wrap it up now, and then we'll hopefully get to talk about those in a couple days for you guys. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back later this week to preview the upcoming Week 5 slate and talk more Big Ten football. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. NFL Sunday is starting today, Hayden. By the time that you guys hear this, that'll have already happened. What do you think about your Bucks? They going to 3-0? Man, I, I really, really hope so. The line in that game is is really tight. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a fantastic game, honestly. Really could go either way. You know, I, I'm really looking forward to, to watching it. Antonio Brown is out. Not that I think that's not a huge deal, but it is something to note. The spread is even. It's literally a pick em game, which has moved. It was, Tampa Bay was like a point and a half or two point favorite, and it's moved down to even, which is interesting. I saw some books have... The Rams were a point and a half favorite before it swayed back to even now too. So that's yeah. been a spread that's been all over the map. This game is literally all over the place. I have no idea. I have no idea who's going to win. I think honestly, if I were betting on this game, I think the best play is take the over. It's at 55 and a half because I think both teams will, are going to put up some points here. I I don't know what to think, man. This This is going to be a really good one. Game of the week without question. Raiders, I'm hoping, get to 3 0 too. But Vegas only has that one as a three and a half point spread. And that felt weird when I looked at it because of what the Raiders have accomplished. But Vegas always knows. So 
I'm hoping you, just for you, a three unfortunately for unfortunately for you, you're not even going to be able to watch the Buccaneers game because your Raiders play at the same time. So you're going to miss the game of the week, which I don't blame you for watching your team, but kind of unlucky. Uh, another thing, I am rooting for the Bengals today as they take on Pittsburgh. Everybody who knows me knows I absolutely hate the Steelers with, with everything. So I'm really rooting for Joe Burrow to, to light up the Steelers today. You know, we have Who Day action into my house right now, too, so we'll see how the Bengals do. But that's going to bring us to the end. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back here next week for episode 25 of Pigskins and Nylon.